space has fascinated us for most of our lifetime. Well before the first moon landing in 1969, we have been obsessed with discovering what lies beyond the sky and if there are other life forms. Martin Keller is in a unique position to have had access to CIA UFO briefings and other evidence, a near-death struggle, his own UFO and paranormal experiences, which makes him one of the most interesting people of this world. His book, The Space Pen Club, talks about close encounters and is endorsed by comedian actor Dan Aykroyd. Keller is a former pop culture journalist whose work has appeared in Rolling Stone, The Washington Post, The Boston Globe, 48 Hours, and many other media. He now runs a successful public relations firm. Please welcome Martin Keller. Thanks for joining us, Martin. Thanks, Debbie. Happy to be here. After that introduction, I will try to live up to everything you said. (laughs) So let's begin with your childhood. Were you one of those kids that built the rocket in the backyard? How did you envision space? I was one of those kids that bought a cheap Woolworths NASA space module and glued it together for a science project in the fifth grade and used a bunch of materials I'd gotten from NASA to create my own little charted space flight and made it to the state competition where I went home with nothing. But I was a real space nerd. I got my mother out of bed at 4.30 to watch the early launches of the Mercury space program. And invariably, those launches were always delayed. So I'd have to go off to school without watching, seeing the actual thing. I actually wrote to NASA and got autographed pictures of the astronauts and put them up on my wall along with my pictures of the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. So yeah, I was kind of a space nerd. I remember back in the day falling in love with those cheesy B Martian movies. My favorite was the Invasion of the Saucer Man. What were your favorite movies back then? Well, there was one in particular that I allude to in the book somewhat embarrassingly. embarrassingly. Santa Claus, what was it called? Oh, yeah. The Devil and the... Santa Claus and the Martians, and there was a devil in there, and in it. (laughs) It was the hokiest bad B movie you could ever see, and yet I had nightmares about it. So Yeah, I kind of felt the same about the saucer man. <laughs> I don't think I've seen that one. Oh, it's a treat. You gotta watch it. <laughs> I kind of go out of my way not to watch a lot of junk stuff on UFOs or space. And yeah. They were classics back then. We have a lot of space movies, but back then it was those movies they, they all seem to have come out at the same time (laughs) it's a whole genre in hollywood now since the 50s unfortunately the public tends to embrace what they see on the big screen as possibly being true other than the stuff that's so far over the top that you couldn't imagine it to be true in any given environment but it's a lucrative industry unto itself this whole topic so are you star trek or star wars (laughs) (laughs) Kind of neither. I liked the cheesiness of Star Trek, the effects, which have to put things in perspective. There weren't a lot of special effects when Star Trek 
Trek was created in the 60s. Star Wars, I've lost track of the of the storylines in the more recent period, but I really enjoyed the first four to six Star Wars films which seemed to be built around a hero, the classic Joseph Campbell style hero, and thought those were well done, but I prefer to read a good book actually than watch a, a space film. Well, diving into your journalism career is fascinating on its own, but you like you wrote about celebrities, but the space journey has always been your passion. Talk a little bit about that passion. Like you, you kind of embraced it. Your book is incredible. It's so detailed about basically the history and everything about space. Like I said, I don't even know where to begin to ask you the question and how you even got that started and how you even started putting that journey of loving space into stories and, and writing about it. I refer to the Space Pen Club as a historical, cultural, and personal memoir driven mostly by my interest in space, but moreover, my interest tied to sightings I had as a young guy in high school, witnessed with three other friends, high school friends, which I think is important that you have witnesses to these types of events. Because I think anyone can go out in the street and say, hey, I saw a UFO and <laughs> I thought it was going to take me away to Venus. And so witnesses are important to collaborate information. And I had a sighting in high school, as I just mentioned, outside of our high school, one very cold February night in Western North Dakota during a week in which a lot of UFOs had been reported. A lot of UFO sightings in, in the mainstream press, which at, the, at that time consisted mostly of newspapers, radio, and limited television. Western North Dakota is a pretty remote area, but it tends to have quite a bit of UFO activity, at least it did during that week. And we saw something, a white oval-shaped object about maybe 30 to 40 feet in diameter, hovering about a quarter of a mile away from the high school during the middle of a very good varsity basketball game. <laughs> One of my friends said we should get in the car and drive over there and see it close up. And I was the fool who said, no, we don't even have our coats on. There's a good basketball game inside. This is what everybody's been seeing, reporting throughout the week here. Let's just go back inside and watch the game, which is what we did. I wish I could do that, do that one over again. I also had a similar experience sighting in the park with my best friend, Jim, who I've known since we were five years old. He's my attorney today. We used to be debate partners, but prior to seeing this white oval object in the high school three days earlier on the way to a student council meeting at night, we encountered a small red orb that came down from this butte in a park behind his parents' house and kind of hung in front of us at 10 feet. Didn't make any noise, didn't, we didn't know what it was. It was uh, uh, one of those inexplicable events you file away, or in my case, as I say in the Space Pen Club book, put it in the tinfoil file. <laughs> It's really inexplicable, and to this day, it's still inexplicable. I think one of the good narrative 
lines in the book is trying to make sense or find answers to things like this little red orb. But, you know, I had subsequently in the early 90s an experience with five little red orbs. This mm -hmm. time in my bedroom at 4.03 in the morning. I know it was that time because I looked at the clock twice to make sure I was awake. And I was only awake for like 15 seconds. I could see these five objects in the room. And and then I, bl I blacked out, went back to sleep. But I had some residual physical after effects from this that mm. were very disturbing. And my little journey through the UFO community, I was always trying to figure out, well, was this ET? Was this some paranormal phenomena that we don't understand or know about? Or was it? some kind of demonic thing which comes up time and again in the ufo discussion for better or worse that's uh, that's kind of one of the uh, threads in the book it kind of me it kind of feels like somebody's trying to tell you something <laughs> <laughs> but it's not that hard to reach out and, and communicate with me so <laughs> worked in communications my whole life after i covered pop culture for 12 or 14 years, I moved into public relations and there's a fair amount of writing in that and mm -hmm. a lot of discussion among different clients and newspaper, TV people, producers, etc. So, but yeah, I didn't really know, really think about this until a friend of mine said, you know, based on the stuff you recorded in your book, you've had a lifetime of it sounds like it. Inexplicable encounters, which some of which may be related to the extraterrestrial issue and some that may not. So there's definitely some kind of connection to an intelligence that is out there that I guess shows up when it's least expected. Well, in a lot of us, you see, particularly with Twitter and other social media, you see people posting from across the globe on different sightings. And I know for myself, sometimes you look up at the sky and you try hard to see something. <laughs> it may or may not be there, but it doesn't feel like you are alone in this journey. That's for sure. Well, and the fact that the United States Congress now has set up an official office through the Pentagon to investigate UAP, Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon, which is somewhat misleading because the military and the intelligence agencies have been tracking this since the 40s. Most of it's been in top secret programs, not accessible even to some members of the Congress or the president for that matter. And I touch on that whole issue of secrecy and how it works or doesn't work. But now there's been this massive sea change since December of 2017, when the New York Times broke this story on the front pages that there was a secret uh, UFO mm -hmm. study at the Pentagon from 2010 to roughly 2010 and a $22 million study. So they threw quite a bit of money at it. It went to a, a private research group that won the contract, Bob Bigelow, who's turns up in the book, the space pen book a couple of times, um, who's had a lifelong interest in this and went on 60 minutes a couple of years ago and just said point blank that, you know, the UFO subject is real. It's extraterrestrial in nature. 
and there are most likely ETs living among us and the kind of shocked host of that interview segment said, what if we don't believe you? And he said, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's kind of the attitude one adapts after a while because the skeptics are out there and yeah, it's going to take some kind of act of global government or global governments to really do a full disclosure on this. But at this point in time, we are at an interesting place where media has finally taken it seriously and we have a dedicated office to do research. And that's just at a government level. At the ground level, you've got the dedicated UFO researchers who've been doing this research their whole life. And one in particular that I aligned with in the 90s, Dr. Stephen Greer, emergency room medical doctor, uh, who gave up a very promising practice in North Carolina and dedicated his life wow. to the organization he founded, the Center for the Study of Extraterrestrial Intelligence, otherwise known as CSETI. And part of my book is based on that period where we had some very interesting adventures together with his other team members and unfortunately some not so great encounters with national news media which chapter eight is entirely dedicated to the way media has handled this experience, including the time that uh, C. Seti took a uh, research team to the volcano zone in Mexico. Mexico has been a hotspot for UFO sightings for, for the better part of 30 years. If you want to see flying saucers go to Mexico, especially the volcano zone, it's about 80 miles from Mexico City. You can get over there on a bus. Um, we had a CBS news crew from 48 hours shadowing us and they were doing a special 60 an hour on this subject and, and they basically made us look like fools even though they used footage from the first night out when we an object came in and we interacted with it with light signaling. They used that, but they didn't provide any context for it. So it's pretty much useless information for anybody that saw that. And it was pretty embarrassing to see us on national TV. Wow. Yeah. So there's a long answer to your <laughs> No, to that's your question, great. Whatever it was. Well, I, I kind of found it fascinating that around the volcano zone too, it uh, seemed like a interesting correlation. There's a webcam that's trained on the active volcano there, Mount Popo, as the locals call it. It's a very active volcano, and then there's a dormant one right to the side. That It's an interesting rural part of Mexico, but this just Google it sometime, Mount Popo webcam, and you'll see some very interesting objects coming and going not only around the volcano, but in huh. and out of it. It's kind of a mind blower. Yeah, it's fascinating. And you were in such a privileged position to be able to work with the CIA or, or see some of their documents. So what can you talk about with that? And did they edit the hell out of your Well. I have to clarify that both okay. the documents that I saw were obtained by Steve Greer and Dr. Greer. Okay. Although I was privileged to reviewing a lot of them since Greer had a, a disclosure project in the late 90s 
two events in Washington. One I was involved in in 97, where we had uh, different folks from the military giving testimony. And then he did a much larger version of that in 2001. But by then I had bounced out of the organization mostly because I had a young family and I needed to work full time. And I was basically doing public relations work pro bono for him during that period. But we, we interacted with a lot of people in and out of government. Some were CIA folks, others were from other intelligence agencies. And we had Dr. Ed Mitchell, Apollo astronaut six men to walk on the moon he was in our camp at that point so the book really it's not your usual ufo book it's basically my travels through the ufo research community where we encountered the the debunkers that are out there we had a lot of close interactions with media and government officials other astronauts native american medicine men a few flakes, obviously, the subject <laughs> is, is a flake magnet for a lot of people who are delusional or paranoid or <laughs> have some really strange ideas about what is happening. But when I look back on it, it, it strikes me as, wow, I've led an interesting life in and out of uh, doing my day-to-day -day routine, running my small PR consulting business. and doing some writing on the side, but so no, the CIA didn't, didn't look at our book, but I know a lot of people that have worked in the CIA, like this guy, Lou Elizondo, who's kind of become the poster child now for the disclosure effort. He's writing a book and he was one of the guys that ran the Pentagon study mm. in 2007. He's got a book coming out just in time for the holidays. And I'm sure his book is is being poured over by CIA <laughs> censors as we speak, but that, that yeah. book's going to be read worldwide because uh, Lou's been pretty outspoken on topic. Does how does the paranormal relate to space? Well, that's a good question. I think part of the problem in the whole UFO discussion is that. Nobody will define terms. What is an extraterrestrial? What is a paranormal event? Um, I know Elizondo made this, I think, sort of profound statement in passing a couple of years ago that I wrote down. He says, yeah, the paranormal is always the paranormal until it becomes normal. <laughs> then we fold it into our knowledge base and what we consider to be normal activity or phenomena so how does it relate to space i don't know i mean maybe you can answer that question <laughs> also with the ufos you know there's a lot of questions because is it really tied to worlds beyond or is it just some scientific oddity that something fell out of space or in a case around the volcanoes, there's some magnet magnetic field or something that brings weird rocks into the sky. I don't know. <laughs> there's enough evidence. You don't have to go looking far for yeah. proof of this. And I like to, in the book, I like to bring up Dr. J. Allen Hynek, who coined all the close encounter terminology close encounters of the first second third and fourth kind and greer has extended that 
close encounters of the fifth kind that would be human initiated contact with whoever these visitors are or whatever they are. And Heineck went from being a really westernized, scientifically minded researcher. You have to have, if you make a claim, you have to have it vetted time and again before it's accepted as a scientific fact. Well, he was very skeptical about this. He was involved with Project Blue Book, which ran to the late 60s, and he pretty much did a complete about face. And after being exposed to a lot of cases that couldn't be explained, he said, you know, there's an embarrassment of riches in terms of evidence that's out there if people will look at it. And now we have the government hopefully looking at it in a very public way, although there's certainly going to be, there are already classified briefings that have gone on about this, but I'm hoping at some point those, those will be leaked or some of the, some of the evidence will be leaked from those, which is one way the government gets out from hiding behind all this stuff. So it's kind of like the X-Files comes to life. <laughs> yeah. X-Files. That was kind of a cultural, cultural touchstone too broader UFO discussion and and I think journalists even today still use it as a meme or a well it kind of made it believable like there is always that is it real isn't isn't it real but when the x-files came out it got you thinking more a little harder about it and seeing that it could be definitely a couple more steps up the ladder in terms of, of realism around the topic and I mean, the show got kind of went off the rails in the True. later seasons with a lot of, you know, gory. But that's Hollywood, right? Yeah, and, and really tell so many stories and so many in so many seasons. But yeah, yeah, and they always, even if it was a true story, they would still have to pump it up for entertainment value. Yeah, and a lot of the stories that we see in Hollywood are are generally based on an incident or Mm. an event. The writers do their homework. It is such a passion, like science fiction might have started out way back when I was born as more of a a side genre, but now it's probably the most popular genre of books around the Marvel Cinematic Universe's probably the, one of the most successful franchise and everything it does is evolves around space. You don't even have to like some of these stories or the fiction, but everybody, I think you can go to every neighbor, every household, and everybody has a fascination about space. Why, what, what do you think that comes from? Just because we don't know much about it or, I mean, it's just feels well, kind of cool. <laughs> human nature. I mean, it's the, primitive man and woman in the cave starting a fire and looking out at stars. I mean, we're still stargazers and mm-hmm. now we've become star cruisers. I mean, our ability to travel in space has been somewhat perfected over the decades. I think the final frontier really is outer space and and exploration. That's why all Western billionaires are eager to commercialize space travel because at some point it's going to become routine rather than rare. 
Would you go on one of those trips? I might take a short flight to the moon and back. But listen, I wanted to be an astronaut as a kid, but I got car sick, so that didn't work. <laughs> that wasn't going to work out. And there's a lot of yeah. math involved. I, I imagine spaceship stuff. sickness is a lot more severe. <laughs> Hard to know. I mean, I think floating in gravity would be pretty cool. Yeah, it would be actually. Anti-gravity rather would be pretty cool. Yeah, swimming in air, that would be kind of fun actually. Until you had to pee. If <laughs> <laughs> they have that covered. <laughs> so when it comes to space, curiosity is the one main word that comes to my mind. And then when you look at the first moon landing in 1969, and also compare that with the recent high resolution images from NASA, from a planet light years away, what are the first things that came through your mind, having studied this all your life, to see those NASA images well, they're profound in one sense, but in another sense, they're prosaic when you look at some of the UFO imagery that's been captured. I want to know how those things work, how they get from A to B to, to D. And that was one thing that fascinated me about Greer's story. I encountered Steve Greer first as a journalist, spent a couple weeks working on an interview with him. I shadowed him in LA at one of his conferences he puts on from time to time. And I really thought his whole close encounters of the fifth kind thing was the missing piece in ufology. And you know, why wait for the government to tell you what's out there? Go <laughs> out and try to make contact one-on-one. -on -one. We don't need the government to do that, at least not yet anyway. So that story I wrote was about 20 pages long and I pitched it to several national magazines, including Vanity Fair. It just went nowhere. It was the mm -hmm. wrong time, early nineties. The internet was just opening up for public use. At some point I probably could have published that story on the internet in 10 or 12 different places. Certainly that would be the case today, but back then that was not the case. Yeah. So I told him, I said, I've worked in public relations long enough where I could probably get you more coverage than with just one article that I submitted as wearing the journalist hat. So I did that and we did get quite a bit of coverage, including Larry King's first CNN special on, on UFOs, which was his highest rated special to date. And that was in the mid nineties. So it's all in the book. All these <laughs> yeah, they, I totally recommend everybody read that book. So tell, speaking of government, tell us a little bit about that Starlight Group. <laughs> Project Starlight was CSETI's disclosure process. And we had docu we had the best available evidence, as we called it, the best documents that we could vet as being authentic. Because there's a lot of garbage out there. There's a lot of fakes and there's a lot of hoax documents. Who knows where they're coming from? A lot of people think they're coming from small organizations inside defense industry and intel agencies to just muddy the waters on this subject hmm. we had good video we had really great witnesses the witness i thought was the best in 1997 was an airman from one of the, one of the southern states who was in the 
in the room, I forget which which base he was at, but a large UFO appeared on radar and the commander who was on duty at that point pretty much flipped out and said, we gotta, we gotta chase this thing. We gotta follow it and follow it. And one sweep of the radar, it went from being on the East Coast to being out over the Atlantic. So in about the space of two seconds and boom, it was out of there. And, uh, nobody could identify what it was or who it was or where it was from, but this was a pretty modest, soft-spoken guy who at that point was risking his integrity, number one, but a lot of these guys don't want to talk because their pensions are, are mm. tied up in maintaining their secrecy oaths. But we had a few individuals like that that were willing to go out on a limb and share what they had experienced or seen while in active duty. So what's next for you? Is there a second space pen club? I don't think so. I kind of jokingly say at a couple points in the book that this is my farewell to farewell to ufology, just because I've grown tired of all the dead ends and the loose ends, the split ends. I, <laughs> I, uh, I wanted to get it all down on paper though. Number one. So my children and my friends who think I'm not completely off on the ledge <laughs> could read I can it, well imagine <laughs> could read this and hopefully understand the issue better. I am blogging semi-regularly at the spacepenclub.com. So I'm extending the conversations and the themes that are in the book on the blog and uh, I'm reprinting some of the news that's I think worthy of, of sharing. There's also a Space Pen Club Facebook group you can join. Okay. We're a small little community of a hundred some folks right now, and people are posting news stories or making comment on different events, and some are sharing their personal experiences. So you can join the Space Pen Club there as well. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Martin. It was hey, really fascinating to have you on. <laughs> Happy to come back when the mothership lands. Absolutely. Maybe we can do a, a Facebook Live and be there in person. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't that be something? <laughs> Very cool. <laughs>